Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, joined, as always, by Josh Dooley. And Josh, it's good to be back and on a real week. we got Ohio State football coming up this weekend, um, second half of the season about to get underway. Uh, but before we get to that, you know, we're coming off a pretty, pretty banger weekend of college football. We had the benefit of getting to kind of sit back and relax and have some stress-free um, good games to watch where, you know, your own team doesn't have a chance of losing. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of the times these big weekends don't really pan out. They don't they don't live up to expectations. But this one really did. You know, there was obviously um, the, the biggest game of perhaps the year, biggest game probably in the past couple of years uh, between Alabama and Tennessee that Tennessee wound up winning. Um, there was the comeback by Utah over USC. There's some other big games in between. So a lot to talk about from this past weekend. Josh, what really um, stood out to you the most from this past week of games, having a chance to kind of watch the rest of the college football world, not having to worry about Ohio State? What stood out was how incredibly lazy I was and the fact that I watched more football than I can remember in some time. Uh, Gene, I was dialed in or dialed off, dialed out. I don't know what you want to call it. Buried in my couch. But what really stood out to me was the competitiveness. You know, a lot of these games, like you said, they don't always end up, you know, the end result is not always what we imagined going into it. Some of these games underwhelm. I thought that this weekend was everything it was cracked up to be. I thought that the Tennessee-Alabama game was fantastic. I stayed up and watched the USC one. I had a rooting interest against USC there. Just like you said, a ton of bangers. That's the best way to describe it. And while, while there were a number of big losses, I still don't know that we've completely separated like the haves from the have-nots here. I think there's still a lot of sorting out to do, and that's why it's midway through the season. But I think the picture is starting to become a little more clear, in my opinion, of like who those upper echelon teams are and maybe who some of the pretenders were. And that's probably a different subject for a different day. But all in all, I just enjoyed the heck out of this college football weekend. Yeah, me too. I, I like you watch pretty much every game, or at least all the big games this weekend. Um, didn't want to, you know, there's a lot of discourse, especially after the Tennessee win, about how that would affect the college football playoff picture, which we, you know, we involved ourselves in with your nuts this week. But just as, as like a talking point, I just wanted to kind of live in the now. Like, obviously, Tennessee winning probably opens the door for two SEC teams in the playoff. But just living in, in the current day, like, it was a really fun game to watch. You know, Tennessee looked like they, they, they had it in the bag, then they kind of let up a bit. Alabama got back in the game and it had the feeling of, 
of, oh, this is where, you know, Bama does what it does and then comes out on top. But but credit to Tennessee. They held in there. They won that game. It was a, an insane environment there at Neyland Stadium. A lot of fun to watch and a, a 52 to 49 win for them. Obviously, you know, hey, Gene, I want to ask you, too, yeah. you're a big baseball guy. Was that a knuckleball that Tennessee put through the uprights to win that game? Yeah, that was that was odd. I thought for sure it was like tipped at the line or something. I thought it was going to be missed, but did wind up going in. So I guess credit to the kicker, a very weird kick, a very, you know, kind of a, a very fitting way to win that game with the with the way things went. But yeah, just a, a ton of fun, a, a huge upset win. We've been talking about how, you know, Bama hasn't really cl- quite looked this year like the Bama we've expected and the Bama we've seen the last couple of years and that kind of came to pass in this game. Their defense is certainly not up to snuff, letting up 52 points. Um, Bryce Young was back, and he was fine, but just that 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 defense is not as good as it should be. Will Anderson was a complete no-show in this game, non-factor. That Bama defensive line didn't do much against Hendon Hooker, who I think is a very legitimate Heisman candidate at this point. And just a really fun game. And, you know, kind of like we talked about elsewhere, um, obviously I, I didn't mention the Michigan win over Penn State, but that is, you know, a, another big one, at least in the grand scheme of college football. Um, I think that Penn State was very fraudulent as a top 10 team, but still you got to give credit to Michigan where, where credit is due. They still won the game big, um, still, you know, taking care of business that they that they should. You know, Ohio State will play Penn State in a little bit. We'll find out just how good Penn State is or, or isn't um, in a few weeks. But a big win for them. And then, yeah, the other really big one of the day was that Utah-USC game. Utah coming back to win in that game, going for two, going for the kill, going for the win. You'll love to see that when you're, you know, they weren't actually the underdog in that game. They were the home team and they were favored despite being, you know, the the twenty number 20 team against, I believe, number seven at the time. So not exactly an upset, but a, but a great win for them over Lincoln Riley and kind of USC doing what they always do and finding a way to lose a game that they, they probably shouldn't as, as the season goes along to kind of take themselves out of contention. And they're not fully out of contention yet, but just a, a tough blow to their season um, elsewhere a couple of other fun comebacks you know you had the TCU game uh, the one in overtime a lot a lot of just big fun football games and like you said a lot of competitive games that were you know close a lot of times these big time games don't don't deserve the billing they wind up being blowouts one side or another and other than the Michigan game which wound up being a blowout all of these kind of were fun to watch and kind of came down to the final minute so it was a, a really good day of college football even with the Buckeyes not in action yeah and I think the other theme that jumped out to me especially with these top teams that lost You have to be balanced on both sides of the ball. And that's been a problem for Ohio State in the past, obviously, with the defense that they've had the past couple of seasons. But you saw it with Alabama. You saw it with USC, although I think we knew that. Um, We saw Oklahoma State give up a ton of points. Their, their, Their defense is still pretty solid in spite of the loss of Jim Knowles. But, you know, TCU was able to put up a bunch of points in the second half to complete that comeback. So, that makes me feel a little bit better about Ohio State, The you know, seeing as how their defense has performed thus far. But I think they still need to be tested at a high level. And at this point, I don't know if and when that's going to happen, especially I don't know if you saw this, but Tualia Tagovailoa was carted off for Maryland. No idea if he's going to be healthy or able to play in that Ohio State matchup. So, um but, but yeah, like you have to be balanced on both sides of the ball, and Alabama's just not there. We've seen this for the past couple of seasons. They've given up – they've had some performances where they've given up a lot of points. It seems more and more consistent. If you go back and look at their games over the last two, three, four years, there are multiple games per year where they're giving up 35, 38, 42, 52 like they did this past weekend. So maybe they're coming back to earth a little bit and giving some of these other teams a chance and – you know, Clemson continues to beat the drum partially because of that defense. Ohio State has the offense, but their defense has played well. So I really think that for these three, four, well, four teams that are eventually going to make it into the college play, college football playoff, they need to have balance. They need to be able to stop the opponent. And we saw that come back to bite a few teams this weekend. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, obviously Ohio State is a is a big, you know, talking point in the national conversation as well. But bringing things a little bit more regional in the Big Ten, you know, I think another storyline from this weekend, other than obviously Michigan's big win over Penn State, is, you know, this Illinois team that is in a, in a, a position now to perhaps win the West, you know, kind of something that we didn't really see coming. We had talked about them in our, in our preview as kind of a sneaky team, but I don't think either of us really expected Illinois to really have a chance to win that, that division. You know, we talked about teams like Iowa, Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin. I trashed them, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's that. <laughs> 
definitely a possibility, but I mean, Brett Bielma has his guys balling. They are playing fantastic this season, other than that one weird loss that they probably shouldn't have suffered to Indiana. I mean, this is this is a really good Illinois team. Their defense is playing out of their minds. Their offense is a lot of fun, and they've just kind of been, you know, going against teams and, and taking what they do best and doing it better than them, and and it's been, you know, it's, it's cool. Like, Illinois has been fun to watch this season, and they're having a great year. There's a good chance now they wind up as the West representative in Indy. They obviously still have some big games coming up, but they're on on the right path for that. And seemingly no one else in the West wants to win it, so why not Illinois? Um, and it's just you know another big win for them this time, taking down Minnesota, taking down one of the other teams that you know we thought had a, maybe a, a chance to win the West. And they've they've beat now three teams in a row that that were you know poised to to win that division. And so hats off to Indiana uh, in Indiana, not Indiana. Hats off to Illinois there for putting together you know a pretty tremendous season that wasn't really expected of them coming into the year. Illinois is doing what I think the professional football team in that state wants to do, as in the Chicago Bears, despite having Justin Fields. I think that they would love to run the ball 30, 40, 50 times per game even and rely on their defense. That's what Illinois is doing. You know, they've got a heck of a running back. They've now got a quarterback who can at least manage the game. I think Tommy DeVito is a little bit better than a game manager. He can make plays from time to time. But, yeah, I had really not even – considered Illinois as a viable threat until this weekend. And I still don't know, you know, I just, I don't know if they have the offense to keep up. I don't know how truly, you know, dominant their defense is, but uh, you know, we could look at a team like Northwestern a few years ago, 2020 during the pandemic shortened season, ran the ball, got enough out of their quarterback, played really good defense, and then eventually gave Ohio State a little bit of a scare early on in that Big Ten championship game. So, yeah, I still don't know how much I believe in them, but they have certainly earned a lot of credit and a lot of goodwill, especially in the national landscape. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously Chase Brown's having a tremendous season for them at running back, really good player. Um, their defense has been blowing out, and so that we'll see how see how that plays out the rest of the year. But, yeah, you know, we talk here, talk a little bit about the Big Ten West here. We talk about, you talk about teams needing to be balanced and kind of the importance of that this season. So I think that's a great transition to a team that's definitely not balanced, but does play in the Big Ten West, and that is Ohio State's opponent this week in the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, Josh, you talk about teams being balanced on both sides of the football. That is pretty much the antithesis of what this Iowa program is. This is a team that has one of the best defenses in college football, but simultaneously one of the worst offenses the world has ever seen. And I don't think that you're really short-selling that fact. I mean, they are brutal and it's funny i think that we've talked more about iowa like in passing than any other team in the big 10 this year because we've just continuously railed against that defense whether it was on a podcast or in our your nuts column it's a it's a scene man it, it is a wild one how inept they are on that side of the ball we've talked about the uh uh, you know, I, the word's not coming to me right now where you pass something down or hire family. I know it'll come to me here in a second. Nepotism but, uh, is the not, word you're looking for. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Nepotism has not served Kirk Ferentz very well. And normally I would have a, a certain level of concern about this Iowa team, especially if Ohio State were forced to travel to Iowa to play in Kinnick. But uh, you know, here on the home grounds in the friendly confines of the shoe, I think Ohio State should continue to roll. And, you know, we'll get to see this high flying Iowa offense up close, I guess. Yeah, I simply can't wait for that. Um, you know, this is this Iowa team is definitely one that we talked about having a chance to to win the West, despite, you know, we knew coming into this year that this Iowa offense wasn't going to be good. I don't know if we thought it would be this bad. You know, we kind of saw it be close to this bad last year, and we, we both said, you know, oh, well, it can't be as bad this year. Uh, turns out it's even worse. So I don't really, you know, they're 3-3 three and three on the year now. Not a great year for a team that we thought had a chance to compete in the Big Ten. Um, you know, they have losses to Iowa State, Michigan, and Illinois, which is really, you know, nothing to scoff at. I mean, those are three decent teams. Iowa State it's not the best, but Michigan and Illinois have been playing great. Um, but their only wins are over South Dakota State, Nevada, and Rutgers. Um, that South Dakota State game to start the year, absolutely gross. They beat beat them 7-3, to three, but they didn't score a touchdown. It was two safeties and a field goal. So not your traditional way to get to seven. 
And like we said, you know, just one of the worst offenses in college football this year. They currently rank 127th out of 131 teams, scoring 14.7 points per game. They have not scored more than 27 points in a game this year, and they have only seven total touchdowns on offense through six games, and four of those came against Nevada and Rutgers. So, you know, kind of kind of like you alluded to, college football nepotism, nepotism at its finest, that uh, Brian Ferentz is still employed, obviously the son of Kirk Ferentz. Um, he is their offense coordinator. He's, he's doing a, a real bang-up job job over there I would say um you know but you look at the flip side here defensively they're still incredibly strong they're allowing just 9.8 points per game third best in all of college football pass defense has been better than the run defense somewhat surprisingly they're allowing a little over 150 passing yards per game which is second best in the Big Ten behind only Illinois they're allowing a little over 110 rushing yards per game which is only eighth best in the Big Ten but you know by comparison Ohio State's allowing 93 rushing yards per game that's fourth best Ohio State statistically actually has a better run defense than than Iowa but their pass defense has been phenomenal and they've been really really great as a group but it just you know the, the, the how good that defense is hasn't really mattered because the offense just cannot score points you know they did hold a team like Michigan to 27, but they still even never really had a chance in that game because they can't score 27 points. You know, you look at their last time out, they lost 9-6 to to, to Illinois. You, you would think you should be able to win a game where you only allow three field goals, but this offense is just totally incompetent, and that has, has not been the case, and it's really, it's doomed Iowa this season. And, and I call this the Ferentz family hit job. That's what they've done on this year's squad, and it's pretty indefensible. You know, you mentioned that they have the country's number three scoring defense, but it simply doesn't matter because the Hawkeyes are scoring fewer than 15 points per game. You know, I still find this team to be all in all more dangerous than not because of that defense. But how the program can move forward with Brian Ferentz calling plays is simply beyond me. It's laughable. And it definitely kind of sucks for the Jack Campbells and Riley Mosses of the world, those guys on defense who week in, week out, have gone out there, performed, limited their opponents to, you know, like you said, a handful of points per game, not giving up a whole lot of touchdowns. But in the end, it, it's a, it led to a 3-3 three and three record. And I, I haven't looked at the rest of their schedule. I'll pull it up as we go here. But, uh, you know, Iowa was certainly a contender that you and I talked about. And at this point, I think that they probably struggle to get to seven or eight wins again without looking at the schedule. You got to be able to put up points, whether you play in the Big Ten or any other conference. You know, the Big Ten is not known for their prolific run and shoot high flying offenses, but you still have to contend with Ohio State. Michigan, even a Maryland. Then you've got Minnesota who can run the heck out of the ball. Illinois who can run the heck out of the ball. You've got teams in the Big Ten that can put up points. And if you can't play this back and forth game, I see you end. I see you ending up as a loser more often than not. And I think it has finally sort of caught up with Iowa this year. It's been sort of a consistent theme, but this year is the most glaring example of their deficiencies on the offensive side of the ball. And it really, like I said, it's a bummer for those guys on the defensive side of the ball who are really playing at a high level. They're just not getting help from their teammates. And that's uh, unfortunate for them. Yeah, and you know, you look at the the long-standing tenure of Kirk Ferentz here at Iowa. He is in year 24 at this program. You know, it, it's kind of a, an up-and-down tenure. He does put together like a 10-plus win season every few years, and he does have Iowa kind of consistently winning between six and eight games pretty much his whole tenure. But it, it just seems like as of late that the the offensive, I, you just can't let the offense get this bad. You can't let it get this far. Like this, this is too big of a program. Too, you know, you play in the Big Ten, you're a Power Five program. You're one of the premier programs in the Western in the West Western division in this this conference you can't let the offense get this bad you simply you know you have to bring in better players you have to you know you, you have to bench guys when they're not playing well you have to will be willing to try new things and that just hasn't been the case you know we talk about the nepotism of having his son as the offense coordinator that is clearly not working and I, I don't know maybe at you know 67 years old now for Kirk Ferentz. Maybe it's getting close to time to hang it up. Maybe he just doesn't have it anymore. He's, you know, we've seen him pull a number of big upsets in his time at Iowa, but I just don't think that this is the team that's going to be able to get that done. And I don't really see it getting any better in the near future. Yeah, at this point, I don't know what else you can say. If Brian Ferentz is still the OC next year, then I think uh, Iowa's administration needs to step in. This is likely to be the third season out of the last four that the Hawkeyes will finish outside the top 85 in scoring offense. They can't develop a quarterback. Their running game has regressed, even with Tyler Goodson in the fold last year. 
and they can only throw to tight ends. Like, I don't even know how this is acceptable. And I've got a lot of stats before we get to the position, so I just want to hit those with you real quick. They are tied for second to last in FBS with two passing touchdowns. Two. They rank 123 in yards per pass attempt. Going into this past weekend, they had passed for exactly 300 more yards than Army, but Army had played only five games and completed 28 passes. Um, And lastly, Iowa has been to the red zone 12 times in six games and scored on four of those possessions. They have nine freaking touchdowns all year. Three teams have scored eight going into last weekend, uh, but two of those teams have played one less game. So, uh, you know, I think I laid it out pretty well there. If Kirk had demoted Brian Ferentz during their bye and told him he's not welcome at Thanksgiving, it would have been absolutely the right call in my opinion. Yeah, I, I can't help but agree there. You know, you look at some of those stats. I mean, C.J. Stroud threw more touchdown passes against Michigan State, three times more touchdown passes against Michigan State than than Iowa has thrown all season. Um, it's simply not what you want to see. The, yeah, it's just it hasn't – they haven't really done anything particularly well in offense. It's not like, oh, well, they could run the ball a little bit. No, they're not doing that either. They can't pass. They can't throw. Their offensive line isn't playing well. Just no part of this offense is doing anything productive. And, and at some point, like you said, you just kind of got to step in and be like – you have to acknowledge that it's not working maybe try you know a new face at quarterback maybe try you know a, a different philosophy on offense you got to try something and they're just you know they're just running out there every week and scoring you know under 20 points every single time out and it's just it's not going to get the job done I don't care how good your defense is in college football you know scoring 14 points a game or a little more than that is just not going to get the job done so I don't really I don't know what the answer is for Iowa here I still think that defense is is respectable and really good and maybe you know maybe they'll win a few games because of it here down the stretch but this is just a, a really bad offense so while, while we're talking about it we might as well get into it look at some of the the names out here that are trying to get some stuff done um, despite its offensive coordinator um, I hate to really disparage one guy and one kid as a college player, but you know, you look at a guy like Spencer Petras, just one of the worst multi-year starting quarterbacks in maybe college football history. Um, you can't blame all of Iowa's offensive struggles on him, but his play certainly hasn't helped the matter. Uh, in six games, has thrown for under a thousand yards with only two touchdowns to three interceptions. Um, his QB rating of one hundred three point four ranks him dead last in the Big Ten. Um, ESPN has his QBR at twenty three point one, which ranks him. 125th in the country overall. Um, but, you know, despite all of this, the Hawkeyes seem committed to him at quarterback, which seems odd to to say the least. He hasn't gotten really any better in what is now his fifth year with the program. So quarterback has been a huge issue for this team with seemingly no end in sight. They don't look like they're they're going to bench Petrus anytime soon. They don't look like they're going to try anything new to, you know, maybe help him out. Um, so he's just kind of stuck there um, at running back. Iowa lost 1,000-yard rusher Tyler Goodson this offseason. Um, it's been sort of a by-committee approach this year with freshman Caleb Johnson and redshirt, software, redshirt sophomore LaShawn Williams. Johnson's been the more effective back but has just 232 yards on 4.6 yards per carry and only three touchdowns. Williams has four more yards with 236 but is averaging just 3.7 yards per carry with two scores. Um, as you can imagine, Iowa's wide receivers aren't exactly putting up impressive stats this year. Um, tight end Sam Laporta is the team's leading pass catcher with 30 receptions for 278 yards. Uh, Nico Reganey and Arlen Bruce IV are the only wide receivers with only t- over 10 catches on the year. Uh, between Bruce and Luke Lackey, uh, who's a tight end. Uh, they're the only two receiving touchdowns for Iowa. They have the only two. Um, nothing really going on with this group, made even tougher by bad quarterback play. So tough in the air game. Um, and and what makes matters worse is that this Iowa offensive line, which already wasn't very good last year with All-American center Tyler Limbaum, um, is now even worse without him. The Hawkeyes have allowed 18 sacks this season, tying them for 109th in the country. They're averaging just 2.62 yards per rush, fourth worst in the entire nation. Um, the advanced offensive line stats are just as bad. They're 124th in average line yards, 119th in stuff rate per football outsiders. So really just not a single positive area to look to in this Iowa offense. And you'd kind of expect that based on what the stats say. But, you know, whereas at least like bad offensive teams like Wisconsin and Notre Dame had one or two things going for them, the Hawkeyes just really don't have anything right now. It's tough to really sugarcoat this offense with anything here. I, I'm not, like I've said, I'm not really sure how they let it get this bad. Yeah, so Gene, you hit the nail on the head with Spencer Petras. Less than 1,000 yards passing, two touchdowns in six games. And, you know, I I really just – I'm having trouble understanding the whole Alex Padilla situation there because I get it. He was also brutal in his own right last year, but was he so brutal 
that the Hawkeyes won't even give him another shot. I'm starting to think that Petrus has some sort of uh, like blackmail scheme going, right? Because he brings next to nothing to the table. And I, I'm sorry to say that because I'm sure he's a, a wonderful fella, a wonderful kid. Uh, obviously, he was a solid player in high school, right? To be recruited and end up at Iowa. It's not like there's some low FBS school, but he's just not getting it done. And I don't know if it's, you know, ability, confidence or coaching. Maybe it's coaching. You know, we've seen what they've done to the rest of the positions, but maybe they're just out of options and they're just trying to weather the storm the best that they can to get to next season. And if that's the approach, so be it. But to not even try something else is puzzling to me, to say the least. Moving forward at running back, I actually thought Gavin Williams would be the guy last year. He had some appearances last year, but he's been pretty bad. He's right at 3.0 yards per carry, no touchdowns. He actually has 102 career carries without finding the end zone. So they've turned to LaShawn Williams and Caleb Johnson. Those guys are neck and neck. Johnson has been more efficient, like you said, and he's actually an all-state running back from the Cincinnati area. So a little bit of local flavor there. He'll be returning to the Buckeye State. At wide receiver, it's pretty evident that Iowa just doesn't know what to do with wide receivers anymore, period. Keegan Johnson was solid as a freshman, but he got hurt week one. Nico Regani has 104 career receptions, if that does anything for you. And Arlen Bruce IV is an interesting player. He's a bit of a gadget guy. He had three rushing touchdowns last year. But it comes down to quarterback play and the play calls. And if you need any further evidence that Iowa does not know what to do with wide receivers, look at Charlie Jones. So Charlie Jones, I think, started at Buffalo, transferred to Iowa, And he had 21 receptions in 21 games for the Hawkeyes. He was a heck of a kick returner, but they didn't use him a lot in the past game. He transfers to Purdue, and he has 62 receptions for 735 yards and nine touchdowns through seven games for the Boilermakers. So the prosecution rests there. They just don't know how to get the most out of that position. The one above average group that they do have, and I would say they're actually, excuse me, really good, is the tight end group. Sam Laporte is a beast. He's the team's leading pass catcher by a mile. And I can't let you off the hook completely, Gene. You mentioned Luke Lackey. That's actually Luke Lachey and OSU Legacy. That's Jim Lachey's son. And I know you're not an old head like me, so maybe you weren't too familiar with that, but he's a, a local kid too. So I am familiar, or I was familiar with Luke Lachey. He seems like he'd, he could be the next guy up. He's averaging 17.1 yards per catch across the last two seasons. So that's their only sort of redeemable skill position. And you also talked about the offensive line. They had a guy like Tyler Linderbaum and guys in previous seasons that went on to the next level. Uh, Tristan Wirfs is another one doing some great things for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now. That unit has taken a step back, and it has really just sort of magnified the rest of the issues this offense has, which is scoring points, putting up yards, and basically everything else in between. So – I anticipate further struggles against an Ohio State defense that's looked pretty darn good so far this year. Yeah, you you talk about a guy like Charlie Jones, and I think that's a really good point. I just uh, today being Monday, I just put out this week's uh, updated Big Ten stat leaders. Charlie Jones, second in the Big Ten in receiving yards. He's got uh, the second most. He's actually tied for the most touchdowns with Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, he's got the most receptions in the Big Ten by a wide margin. And like you said, this is a guy that you know Iowa wasn't able to really figure out how to do much with, and now he's he's doing huge things over at Purdue. So, it just, yeah, like you said, just exemplifies what's going on with with the wide receiver position. You know, we've and Iowa has always been a tight end group and I do like you know Sam Laporta and those guys but I don't know if it's as good as you know some of the top end NFL guys they've had recently and you know if, if you're an Iowa team you got to be able to run the ball averaging 2.62 yards per rush is just insane to me um for a team that you know their offensive identity was built around that for so long and you had a guy you know recently in Tyler Goodson that was a thousand yard rusher and now this is what you're putting up this year it just seems like you know it was it was a bad offense last year every single thing took a step back and and yeah I, you know your point about Alex Padilla I don't know you know it can't get much worse statistically than what Spencer Petras is doing and like I said you can't blame all of their struggles on him but like what is the what is the sense in not trying something new now especially because you know Petras is a fifth year guy he's not probably 
probably going to be here next year. You're not going to grow anything with Petrus. Why not try in a year where you're already three and three? Try out someone else at quarterback, whether it's Padilla or someone else young on the roster. Like, give those guys a shot. It can't, like, it statistically cannot get any worse than what you're getting right now. So I don't really see the harm. Run the Wildcat. That. Get crazy. Yeah, honestly, like, it would be better than what they're doing now. So I wouldn't hate it. Go, go to the triple option. Do something. Try something. Run some screen passes. Do something out here. You have to, you can't be putting up 14.7 points per game in college football. It's just not sustainable, especially when, you know, you're, they're not like, it's not like Iowa, you know, I talk about their losses being to three decent teams, but it's not like Iowa is playing, you know, top 10 defenses every week. You know, they've, they've played Nevada, Rutgers, just South Dakota State, and they haven't really done much offensively against them either. I'm pretty sure almost all of their points against Rutgers were on defense. So it's, it's just, it's, it's tough to watch this offense work. They don't have anything going and it's really a letdown because that defense is so good. Yeah, we mentioned you mentioned the running backs. Try to help Spencer Petrus. If he's the guy that you're going to go down fighting with, you know, do something, try something to accentuate whatever strengths he does have. Try and limit, you know, whatever his limitations are. Um, they have 12 receptions between their top three running backs. So, like you said, Try the screen pass. Try and get it outside to those wide receivers who do have some skill. They've got some speed. They've got some run-after-the-catch ability. It's just a matter of getting it in their hands. And if that's not you know, your M.O., then try and involve the tight ends even more, I would say. you know, Run two tight ends, three tight ends every single play and look for those guys to expose the middle and maybe beat some linebackers, some safeties, get down the field that way. But it just comes down to creativity or lack thereof they keep hammering their head against the wall. And at some point it's like the definition of insanity, right? You continue to try the same thing over and over again and you expect a different result. Oh, Iowa is not getting different results, any different results the past couple of seasons. And it's, it would be unforgivable if I were an Iowa Hawkeye fan. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting physically nauseous just talking about Iowa's offensive numbers. So let's, let's flip over to the good side of this team. Let's look at this defense. as bad as Iowa is offensively, they are the complete opposite on the defensive side of the ball with one of the nation's top units. This defense is made up almost entirely of juniors and seniors. They bring back a ton of experience and they sure look like it. You know, the back seven, um, is really where this team makes its mark, starting with a dominant linebacker deal in Jack Campbell and Seth Benson. Campbell led the nation last year with 143 tackles, and he's back at it again with 62 total tackles thus far to lead the Big Ten at this point. Uh, Benson is second on the team right behind him with 51 total tackles. Both are seniors and returning starters. Um, also returning his fifth-year senior defensive back Riley Moss. Um, he comes back after winning Big Ten Defensive Back of the Year in 2021, despite missing a few games with an injury. He was that good. Um, he has a pair of force fumbles this season and a pair of pass breakups so far. He's joined at corner by sophomore Cooper DeGene, um, who leads the team with a trio of interceptions on the year, including one for a touchdown. Um, Quinn Schultz and Kayvon Merriweather lead the way at the safety spots. Both have registered an interception this season. Schultz is tied with DeJean for uh, the team lead with five pass breakups. Uh, and Merriweather has a fumble recovery touchdown. The, the the pair of them are fourth and fifth on the team in tackles, respectively. Um, so that that secondary, that the back end, the safeties, the corners, and the linebackers are all playing at a, an extremely high level so far this season. Um, the one area surprisingly this defense is sort of lacking is in the sack department where they're sort of just middle of the pack in the Big Ten. Um, the defensive line is led by Lucas Van Ness, who leads the team with three sacks on the year. Uh, Joe Evans, Deontay Craig, and Aaron Graves each have a pair of sacks to their name, but the entire rest of the team combines for just four sacks. As a team, they have one less sack than Ohio State does, and Ohio State's a team we've complained isn't getting enough sacks. Um, but still, they've, they've been solid in the tackles for loss department. Van Ness leads the way there as well with six. Um, John Wagner has five right behind him. So the defensive line is sturdy and experienced, just not causing a ton of havoc plays. Uh, but like I said, the, the defense is very strong overall. It's really that back seven that makes them an elite group. Um, and they've, you know, for as bad as the offense have been, this this defense has been every bit as good. So um, it's it just makes it even even tougher to swallow, like you said, for for an Iowa fan to have a defense that is this good, this elite, and to have an offense that's not getting it done because this is, you know, one of the top defenses in the country, not just in the Big Ten. Before I jump into it, I just I need to say that you describing the Iowa defensive line as sturdy 
is like the most perfect description I can ever think of because they're not wildly athletic. They're not, you know, these big behemoths up front, but they're sturdy. You know, they can just do a little bit of everything. But I think it starts with uh, recognizing Phil Parker. In my opinion, he is one of the country's best defensive coordinators. Iowa has finished as a top 20 scoring defense in every season since 2014. I think only Georgia can say the same thing. I, I went through it. It's either Georgia or Alabama, but given what we've seen from Alabama, I don't think it was them. I think it was Georgia that has been ranked inside the top 20 for uh, beyond a handful of years now, but Iowa develops at all three levels, no different in 2022. They are third in scoring defense, like we talked about, ninth in total defense. Yeah, the only knock against them is they haven't played a a great offense. We mentioned that uh, you talked about them, their game against Michigan. They allowed only 27 points. I think that we believe Michigan's a pretty solid offense, but maybe a one-off. They've not played a lot of other like high-tier Big Ten teams for sure. So we'll see how they hold up against this Ohio State offense. I think it's going to be their biggest test of the year. And looking at the positions, We've talked about the defensive line not getting to the quarterback a ton, but they do create pressure, and they're all pretty strong against the run. Wagoner, Shannon, Lee, Evans, and Van Ness have combined for 21 tackles for loss. So, again, not getting to the quarterback, but they're getting in the backfield, being disruptive, making some plays. At the second level, I'm with you. Arguably the best combo in college football in Jack Campbell and Seth Benson. They are going to combine for well over 400 tackles between the 2021 and 2022 seasons, provided they stay healthy, just everywhere, all the time. They're really smart, disciplined players, definitely the leaders, along with Riley Moss in the secondary. And that secondary, they're not coming up with as many interceptions as they did last year, but they are still just silly good, right? Fifth in passing yards allowed per game. Moss is super sticky, even though he has no interceptions this year. Cooper DeGene on the opposite side. I read that he was actually a pretty good quarterback in high school, sort of came out of nowhere this year, but third on the team in tackles in addition to those three interceptions and five pass breakups along with uh, Quint Schulte. They both have five pass breakups apiece. They... Don't don't allow a whole lot through the air. You know, it's not just Moss. They're all sticky cover guys. They know where to be and when to be there. And the secondary, the safeties, I'm sorry, are they're not only disciplined. They're they're good with their fundamentals. They don't miss a whole lot of tackles. They play zone. They can peel off, cover a tight end, a guy underneath, whatever you ask them to do. Led by Kayvon Merriweather and a handful of other guys back there. It's just a a real fundamentally sound secondary and unit as a whole. And that's why I think that you have to, again, recognize Phil Parker for what he's done there. If Iowa could could go out and find his opposite on offense, we'd be talking about a hell of a team. But the defense leads them, and they just unfortunately for them have not been able to lead them to as many victories as in years past. And... It's going to be a real test on Saturday. You know, I I don't think that they've come across a passing defense like the Buckeyes have. Knock on wood. Hopefully the Buckeyes get JSN back with all the other guys. And that's in addition to the running backs. We hope both of those guys will be healthy. It's going to be strength on strength. But, you know, even despite the guys on that side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball for Iowa, I believe that Ohio State's offense is much stronger in that strength-on-strength matchup, and it's going to be up to that offense to keep up and put up any sort of points, and we've already covered that. That's going to be a tough road to hoe, so I don't know how much I like the Hawkeyes' chances here. Yeah, it, it definitely is interesting. You know, you look at that 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 Michigan game as kind of a similar barometer to, I guess, offensive metrics as Ohio State, not quite as explosive, but still a good Big Ten offense. But the thing about, you know, Michigan, especially in that game, is that they're, they're just a run-heavy football team. You know, that offense is almost entirely run through Blake Corum. And, you know, you look at that game, um, Corum only averaged 4.6 yards per carry in that game. He still finished with 133 yards on 29 carries. Um, but, 
you know, the, the, I don't think J.J. McCarthy is, is all that great of a quarterback. He's obviously not as good as C.J. Stroud. Um, I think Ronnie Bell is a good player, but I don't think he's as good as any of Ohio State's top three in, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. So you're looking at an Iowa defense here that's performed really well this year so far, but they haven't really played anybody with, you know, a, a top quality offense. You know, you look at the teams they've played, um, South Dakota State, Nevada, Rutgers, Iowa State, Illinois, Michigan. Like, it's not, none of those teams really scare you offensively. So maybe these numbers are a bit inflated based on who they played. I still think this is a solid defensive group. But now they're going to, you know, coming this week, they're going to play definitely the best quarterback they've played. Probably the three best wide receivers they played, not only just as, you know, as a group, but individually. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a big task for them. You know, you look at a guy... Like Blake Corum, didn't have a ton of success against them, but um, you know I think Ohio State, with their mix of run and pass, will be just fine with Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson, like you said, if they are both healthy in this game. And I think health is a big uh, big thing for Ohio State coming into this game. You know, We talk a lot about Iowa and what we're looking for from them. We kind of usually know what we're going to get from Ohio State, but I'm interested to see how this team looks coming off the bye week. How healthy are they? Do we see you know both a, a full complement of Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson? I expect that we do. Um, do we see Jackson Smith and Jigba make his return? We you know, we both kind of think that that he will, but we don't have really any confirmation of that, at least at this point in the week as we record this. Um, rest of the offense has been more or less healthy. Um, you look on the defensive side, will Ohio State have a guy like Jordan Hancock back? Will we see maybe more of Court Williams, who spent the first half beat up? You know, there's other guys on this roster that we haven't seen a bunch from from Ohio State. So I'm interested to see how healthy they are. But even, you know, even regardless, even if Jack Smith and Jigba doesn't play, even if you don't see, you know, Jordan Hancock on the other end, I think that, you know, there's just the way that this team is built. Um, I, I don't really see how Iowa can keep this this really that all that competitive because at the end of the day, you know, I can't really see Iowa scoring more than than twenty eight points. Um, you know, despite how good that defense is, I, would it really be capable of keeping Ohio State under thirty, um, which is probably what they'd have to do to win this game? Um, I, I don't I don't really know if that's you know something that this this defense is capable of. They you know they held Michigan to twenty seven, but I, I think this Ohio State offense is far more explosive than Michigan's at least at this point in the year. And I just don't know if it's you know a realistic expectation to hold Ohio State to you know twenty one twenty eight points, which is really the only way that Iowa would be able to win this game. I'm with you on the health front as far as you know we don't know, but we expect this or that. In my opinion, though. If these guys are ready, at some point you have to put your full complement of 22 starters out there or what you anticipated being your 22 starters when the season began. So I'm beyond hopeful that we see Jackson Smith and Jigba out there. Um, He is personally one of my favorite Buckeyes over the past handful of years. I'm really interested to see what Jordan Hancock can potentially offer in the secondary. So I, I... I admit and understand that Ohio State could just probably roll the ball out and outscore Iowa, but you can't just keep kicking the can down the road. Again, in my opinion, to even a Penn State, I think Penn State's a legit team. This weekend notwithstanding, I think they present the biggest challenge sans Michigan coming up at the end of the year. So I don't know that it's fair to throw a Jordan Hancock into the fire for his first game be like, hey, Go, go help stop Penn State. Same thing for JSN. I know we've seen him a couple of times, but you want to, you want him to get his legs underneath him, especially going against uh, a Penn State secondary and even an Iowa secondary. Those two teams have really good defensive back units. So Iowa, in my opinion, would be a good test for JSN to get out there, see how healthy he is, and just get used to taking hits, catching the ball, so on and so forth. But I, I'm with you. At the end of the day, I don't know if Iowa's defense can play well enough to slow down Ohio State enough to you know allow their offense to, to put up points because we just haven't seen it at the end of the day. You know, if Iowa had had one of these games where they put up 35 against Iowa State or something like that, maybe I would have a there would be a higher level of concern for me, but it doesn't matter who the opponent is. They aren't able to score against even one of the Dakota states. 
So how can you expect them to put up points against a, uh, an Ohio State offense that is hopefully getting healthy and will welcome some guys back, continue to refine whatever they're doing in the secondary? So I think it's going to be another tough one at the end of the day for Iowa. Yeah, especially because, like we kind of talked about, the that Iowa defensive front isn't really a, a big sack unit. You know, having something like that going up against a passing offense like Ohio State is certainly troublesome. Even though, you know, we've kind of seen that, you know, blitzing Ohio State is, is kind of the wrong way to go about it. I think you're better off, you know, dropping more guys into coverage and letting C.J. Stroud kind of read the field and hope that he makes a mistake because he's been so good against extra pressure and extra blitzers. You know, you're leaving an extra man open out there. He's going to find him. So maybe that works in, in Iowa's favor a little bit here, but Nonetheless, yeah, like like we kind of talked about, I just don't, you know, Ohio State's defense hasn't been, you know, the, the cream of the crop this year, but they've been very, very good, and I don't think they're really going to have much of a problem here. It would be nice to get some some clear answers in the secondary, like you said, um, heading into that Penn State game. You know, they have guys like Parker Washington all over there at Penn State. They have probably a pretty good, you know, wide receiver core as a whole. We'll talk about them next week, but you, you would like to get your, your secondary in order here as you get past the midway point in the season, and maybe some guys are healthier. Maybe you're starting to learn more about some guys. I don't know if they're really going to be tested by Spencer Petras and his offense, but if they put up a, you know, a good showing here, it at least makes you feel a little bit better heading into that game. But yeah, kind of as we as we beat around the bush here, we'll sort of get to our score predictions here. I'll 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 go with mine first. Um, I'm kind of siding with Vegas here, and I didn't realize I did it when I wrote my score prediction, but I am now as I'm looking at kind of the numbers. Um, I wrote down a score prediction here of 38 to 10 Ohio State, which is almost exactly on both Vegas. No, numbers. you didn't. No, you didn't, is, is Gene. We're going to do it again. <laughs> not not quite, but we're going to get to it. it. Just, it's, it's very close again. Yeah, I don't think Ohio State is going to come in here and drop 50, and maybe they will, but I do I do have some respect for this Iowa defense. I think they'll at least you know make it a little bit more difficult for Ohio State to score. You're not going to see sort of the Michigan State style where Ohio State comes in and scores and you know goes 70 yards in three plays. I don't think you're going to see a ton of that, but I do think Ohio State is still going to get theirs. They're going to score somewhere between 35, 38 points, maybe a little bit more if things get out of hand, but I just think see that as a good number. You know, maybe Ohio State lets up a little bit on the ground. Maybe they let up a long run or maybe one pass, you know, a tight end gets behind the defense, whatever it is, and they, they let up a big pass, get it, let up a touchdown. But 38 to 10 feels good. And when you look at the, the Vegas numbers here, that's pretty much almost the exact score they're predicting because Ohio State is about a four touchdown favorite, about 28 and a half, 29, depending on the book you're looking at. And the over under is set at 49. So I'm almost exactly on those two numbers with my score prediction. And Josh, it sounds like you're somewhere in the neighborhood as well. I was even closer to you than, you know, I'm going to lead on. I'm going to change. I'm going to call an audible and change my prediction just a little bit. So uh, I'm with you. I think that Iowa can maybe force a couple field goals, um, stay on the field a little bit longer themselves on offense. You know, maybe they get the uh, running game going a little bit, but I don't see them putting up uh, much of a fight. I don't think that this is going to be a game that will have us nervous through three or four quarters. So I think that give me Ohio State 41 Iowa 17. I think it'll be a little bit closer than the spread, but again, I'm I'm changing my prediction on the fly here. I think Iowa finds a way to stumble into the end zone a couple of times and they potentially force Ohio State to kick a couple of field goals, but there's just too much firepower on the Ohio State sideline, so I still think they put up 41 points. Give me 41 to 17. Yeah, I'm also hoping here a little bit, you know, that Ohio State, obviously, I'm sure a lot of the players spent some time watching some of the big games this weekend. And, you know, it just further reevaluates. We've talked about it a couple of times now with some of these bigger upsets. It, it just reestablishes the fact that you have to be on your game every single week. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. It doesn't matter, you know, what the point spread says. You cannot go out there and lay an egg uh, against a team with, a, with really any sort of pulse or you will lose. And Ohio State, you know, you're looking at, you know. You so, look Gene, let me jump board. in. I think yeah. maybe you're going here. Do you see or could you see a performance where Ohio State is maybe looking ahead a little bit to that Penn State game and maybe it causes them to you know, not be at their sharpest on Saturday? I mean, I actually think that the, the way that Michigan won that game might make Ohio State look ahead a bit less. Um, you know, maybe Penn State isn't as, as good as we, we previously okay, thought. I, th- I think had, you know, Penn State either beaten Michigan or, you know, given them a really tough game, Ohio State might be more focused on that one. But I think they're, you know, at this point in the season, I think they're kind of just focused on week to week, which is exactly what you need to be. I don't think they're taking anyone for granted. And I think, you know, seeing all these other big, big name teams lose, you know, especially a team like Alabama and, uh, you know, Tennessee isn't quite the level of Iowa, but seeing a team like Alabama go down just further reinforces the fact that, you know, this is kind of a, a wide open field for Ohio State this year year 
We've talked about it before, but they've looked like one of the more complete teams in the country through six games now, through seven weeks. Um, and so you look at you know a team like Alabama that might be a little bit more down this year than they usually are, at least by their standards. You know Georgia has faltered here and there. You know Clemson does, is is winning games but not doing it pretty. Michigan is you know what Michigan is. Um, it does seem like the the field is wide open and is the the national championship could be Ohio State's for the taking this year, but they do have to handle business against the teams that they're expected to handle business on. So I think that all of that goes into you know them being incredibly focused. You know, like we said, hopefully they're a lot more healthier than they've been to this point. We don't know for sure, but that is, you know, that is the goal. Um, that's kind of, you know, this bye week has kind of been what they've aiming for is, is getting some of these guys back, getting them healthy. So all of that going into it, I, I do think Ohio State comes into this game incredibly focused. Um, I do think that maybe this, this Iowa defense you know, presents a little bit more struggle than some of these other teams have. But at the end of the day, like we said, they can't, they're just not going to be able to put up the points like, uh, like other teams could. So I, I don't think it's going to be all that super competitive, at least what the final score says. But um, yeah, I, I do. I have, I have big expectations for Ohio state here. And I think that they are kind of looking around the rest of the college football world and seeing what's, what's there. I agree with you on a couple of points there. I think that Ohio state has been hyper-focused week in and week out. You can maybe point to, like a quarter of malaise and they didn't come out guns a blazing against Notre Dame, but that was week one and JSN went down early. I think that Ryan day has his guys in a good headspace, And I, I do think that, you know, what we saw this past weekend will just put even more emphasis on the week to week approach for Ryan day and his guys. So I'm with you there. And I think we're, you know, completely in concert here that, it just comes down to Iowa's offense not being able to put up points. And if Ohio State can dial in the way that they have, stop the ground game, and force Spencer Petras to try and do anything, it could be a blowout. I, I, I don't know, but I do want to give Iowa a little bit of credit and that defense a little bit of credit based on you know past years, past seasons. But I don't see you know, the scare coming from them in 2022. Yeah, especially if, you know, depending on the game state of this game, you know, if we have something where, you know, like Wisconsin, Ohio State gets up 21 nothing or something like that early, I mean, the game is virtually over. Iowa is not capable of, of coming back of a hole that big. So I think a lot of this game could determine, you know, on how these teams come out of the gate. Um, you know, maybe Ohio State, you know, punts a couple times to start. Maybe Iowa gets like a defensive touchdown or something early, and that makes things closer than we'd like it to be. But I do think if, you know, if Ohio State jumps out to an early lead or an early big lead I, I think it's pretty much curtains i'm with you no argument there and just looking ahead a little bit too i, I was curious what the weather would be like it's kind of chilly here in columbus right now but this weekend the outlook on saturday is 74 and sunny so the weather should not inhibit anything that cj stroud the running backs wide receivers are trying to do so that makes me feel even better about ohio state's chances of putting up big points in this one yeah, we love to see that. You know, I'm just excited to have Ohio State back on the field this week. As nice as it was to not have to stress a, a Buckeye football game this week, I did miss having them out on the field watching CJ Stroud and the boys carve it up. Um, it'd be nice to see them get back out there, hopefully pick up another win, move to 7-0 and um, as we kind of get into the, the meat of this schedule, like you like you alluded to. You know, they got Penn State coming up next week. They got that Michigan game at the end of the year. They have, you know, potentially Maryland pending the status of Talia Tugvailoa and then a couple of easier games in between. But should be a fun end of the season here. It's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the the college football world pans out the the rest of the way it should be um, an exciting exciting year maybe we get some new faces in the college football playoff this year maybe Tennessee makes some noise maybe another team jumps up into the mix but I'm just you know I'm excited to get some some Ohio State football back in our lives this weekend Josh you kind of on the same page there absolutely as fun as this past weekend was it's it's different when Ohio State has a game you get up for game day just a bit more and I haven't checked out the rest of the slate but it's also good that this game's a nooner. Get it out of the way. Hopefully an easy victory and watch some of these other matchups later in the day. Absolutely. So we will get um, out of your hair this week. We will, as we always do, um, have all of our written content leading into this game over at LandGrantHolyLand.com. So be sure to check out all of that. Um, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff podcasts always ask you to do. And for Josh Julie, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.